listening to the Sit Down Standout Show, the podcast where people with all abilities and challenges can stand out from the rest, even if they've got to sit down to do it. I'm Ben and Dykstra, the Rolling Dragon, and it's time for this show to take flight. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Sit Down Standout Show, the podcast that gives all people with abilities and challenges a chance to stand out from the rest, even if they've got to sit down to do it. My name is Ben, and with me here today is my wonderful guest, Darlene Williams-Paris, who is a reverend, a life coach, a former Air Force veteran, and she's got so many titles that we're going to have to get her a hat rack for Christmas. How are you doing, Darlene? I am well. I am well. The last name is Prodis. <laughs> my apologies. No, that's okay. 90% of the world mispronounced my last name, so I just tell them to call me by my first name. It makes it so much easier. But I am doing well. I do have a lot of hats that I wear, and uh, it is an interesting set of hats. Oh, yes, it certainly is. Now, given all that you've done over your career, you seem to have a definite skill and a definite passion for bringing people together. When do you think you developed that passion to guide people as a life coach and a counselor for couples? Well, you know, all of this actually started in high school. Um, I was voluntold in high school, hey, we need someone to help the elementary school kids with math, English, science, and just pretty much to get themselves together. And when I say voluntold, because, they, well, you know, you, you're an honor roll student and uh, we expect great things out of you. And I thought, yeah, okay, whatever. Let me go play with the kids. And I found uh, that I enjoyed working with them. I enjoyed not just teaching them, but learning that sometimes they needed that that extra ounce of encouragement to go, you know, you can do this, right? And they kind of go, well, I'm not really sure. And so you find that at a young age, kids don't have the confidence that you would think they would have. You know, most little kids are like, I can conquer the world. But you had a lot of kids that they didn't have that thought. And so from that point on, um, I became a junior achievement um, president of my first little company where um, my co-vice president and I, and we had a little team, we made salt and pepper shakers that look like hourglasses. And we enjoyed doing that. Uh, and so I was like, okay. But I found myself every so often kind of motivating the team. And I'm like, well, I don't know if, this is a lead into a real something or if this is something I just enjoyed doing. And I found that it was just something I enjoyed doing. People would come to me with particular issues or challenges. And it's always, I'm going to sit, I'm going to listen to what it is. And then we're going to kind of break it out in pieces, how we either fix it or leave it. Exactly. You have to, let's take it slow. Let's take it slow. Let's really sit down and assess what you want to do with yourself. Because I think today, like it took me three years after college to figure out that I wanted to do this because there's so much allegedly available going on in the world, but you're exposed to so much. You're like, there's this, there's this, there's this. I don't have a clue. Correct. And that's the thing. You I don't know. They, they send you through high school. They send you through college. You spend all this money. You spend all this time. But the question is, is that your passion? And is that what you're supposed to be doing? 
I mean, you actually have something. When you're born, there's something that you're actually supposed to be doing, and that one thing leads to millions of other things. Me helping little kids in elementary school is all connected to me being a reverend, me being a life coach, me being a mediator, me being a program uh, manager, project manager. And once I figured out these things are all connected because I, w- I was an assistant elementary school teacher at a Christian school where I taught kindergarten and sixth grade. And then on the converse side of that, I worked in California with gang male youth, but it all connected because it was all about how can I help people grow? Even through my own challenges, I'm still thinking, how can I help other people grow? I have people call me from Vegas in the middle of the night. And of course, my time, it may be 4 a.m. in the morning and their time, they're still, you know, having their nighttime and something happens. And I never go, well, you know, I was actually sleeping. My response is, give me one minute to sit up, get straight. If I get a notebook, get a pen, turn on a light, I grab some tea. And then it's like, away we go. And I've always been that way. I continue to be that way. I have a 24-hour clock. I have a 24-hour phone. I can catch a nap. I'm not worried about that. But if this person has a problem or situation or challenge, if I can help you or I can lead you to where help is, then that's that's what my passion is. That is just incredible. It feels like that's something that you don't see very often. And actually, when I was talking to you via email, I was like, how does this woman get any rest? How does she look after herself? Because it seems like you've got so much on your plate. It's like, okay, I'm a mom. I'm a reverend. I'm helping these kids. How the heck do I get any me time? How do I, like, that's a question I ask everybody on this show. How do you practice self-care? Because I'm a firm believer in you can't help anybody until you can help yourself. Well, it's funny you say that because this is actually something I, I try to teach women all the time, but it's, it's for anybody. I will, I try to teach people how to just be them. Start with them first. And I let them know it's not wrong to be selfish. For myself, um, I'm here doing my job all day long. Um, and before COVID, I was, I had my own website. I was listed on five or six other websites and I was doing weddings. I was doing counselings. I was mediating divorces and still working for FEMA and still um, doing everything else that I was doing outside of that. And I found myself getting burnout, but I found myself meditating more. So I wake up at 4 a.m. and I begin to meditate from four to six. Uh, I signed into my FEMA laptop by 6.45. I continue to meditate. I have a a tone that I listen to the whole day long on that laptop. I switch to my other laptop, which is the one we're currently talking on, and I answer messages from, you know, Wedding Wire or whomever sends me an email. I answer that, then I turn back around and I manage my FEMA laptop. And so I'm going back and forth between the two. Well, of course, with FEMA, I have an hour lunch break. With that hour lunch break, I catch up on messages on my other laptop. But I also fix myself some lunch, listen to some music, sing a couple of songs, write a couple of notes, and meditate for 15 minutes. So I've got an hour, and I divide that hour up where 15 minutes is still meditating. Then when I shut down the FEMA laptop and I shut down my personal laptop, 
I take my hot shower or go go out if I have to go out. And I continually stay in my head as calm. And you want to draw energy to you that's positive. So you have to send out that same positive energy. And so the people I surround myself with are those people who juice me up. They juice me up. My body lets me know, hey, it's time to shut down. I don't shut down until my body gives me that cue, mm, tired. And I don't push past the tired. I do not resist the natural rhythm of my own body. And so what I tell women who are married, you go, I got the kids, I got the husband, I got the dog, I got the bills, I got the job. Yes. What time do you, and, and I make them work out a schedule. I take a regular poster board and behind me, I don't know if you can see where I'm pointing, that's a whiteboard. And what I do is when I'm talking to a client, I go, okay, give me your schedule every day. What time do you wake up? What time do you do this? And I write out their schedule. And I said, give me a day. I'm going to show you how to put you first. And that's what I do. Right. So I would think that the key there is knowing, first of all, you're only human. So you have to find a way to create a sense of self-discipline. That way you can organize what you're doing. Um, Would you say that you developed that in your time as an Air Force veteran? Because it doesn't matter what branch you're going to be in. The military can change your life in a variety of different ways. So what would you say was your biggest takeaway from your time in the Air Force? My time in the Air Force, um, my biggest takeaway was camaraderie. Um, By nature, when I joined the Air Force, I was literally a total introvert. I could not look at people when I eat. I really didn't want to eat with people. And then I found that to build healthy friendships was really good for me. Um, It also allowed me to practice things that I'm originally from Louisiana, so I would have never tried surfing or wind sailing or jet ski. I would have never tried any of that. I'd have stayed on the ground. Um, but by virtue of me joining the military, I learned how to do all of those things and learn how to connect with people better. Um, my discipline literally came from just being a kid and living with my parents um, based on what they did in their careers. My dad was a railroad engineer. My mom was a nurse. Both of those careers require that you have a level of discipline beyond the normal level. So we all have a schedule that we followed. Okay, we know that Darlene's going to be at school at this time. We know that dad's going to have to go out of town at this time. This is mom's shift. And then I learned how to just make that stay. And it's been there pretty much my entire life. Right. So you were basically grown up into... We're going to schedule everything to fit everybody in, and that's the way we're going to make it work. As much as it might be, let's just say, not fun for little Darlene at the time. Right. I mean, but for me, I had things going on in my life as well. Um, I've been a a violin, viola, cello, piano playing child since I was six. And so that required a level of discipline because I had someone who was teaching me violin, viola, and cello. And then on the flip side that I had a piano instructor and then I had a voice instructor because I sang. So I spent a lot of time working on me in the very beginning. And then I began to work on other people. Right. The key thing is you have to know your own limits before you go helping other people. Like I've always been the kind of guy that is okay with being the shoulder to cry on. But if I'm crying, I'm of no use to that other person. So it's true. (laughs) This yeah. is very true. Oh, yeah. 
Um, let me see. You mentioned that you recently were diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Hmm. Now, of course, that's unfortunate for a lot of people all over the world. And it isn't always the case with veterans. Not every veteran comes back with PTSD. However, they do come back changed. But what I'm wondering is, how is Darlene managing this recent diagnosis? Well, here's the thing. My PTSD was not based on military. My PTSD was actually based on childhood trauma that I did not know I had, uh, which I took into the military with me. <laughs> so, and it was, and I took it out of the military and I took it to every job that I had, not knowing that some of the things that triggered me was it in fact PTSD. Um, when I was di diagnosed with PTSD two years ago, I was kind of like, what? That's not, that's not possible because I would know. And the person said, you wouldn't know what you don't know because everybody doesn't have the same signs. They don't have the same symbols. They don't have the same triggers. And exactly. once we diagnose these are your triggers and these are why, then we started digging in and we started playing what I call dig, dig, dug. And this is from childhood stuff. It was from childhood things. It was from things from like seven to high school that I just didn't deal with. I didn't share with anybody that I pretty much pushed down and just left there. And then it just started surfacing, surfacing. And so right. the way I deal with that is I do a great deal of meditation. But for me, my biggest therapy is writing, writing and helping other people. It's very cathartic for me. So bringing positivity to others and essentially letting out your creativity, right. that's your PTSD outlet. That's it. Now, you, you mentioned in your audition, which was great, by the way, um, that you were diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and possibly OCD, over-obsessive compulsive disorder. And you mentioned that these uh, conditions are often seen as invisible disabilities. Correct. People that, unless they are showcasing very major signs in public, people don't often see, don't often look at. How do you intend to utilize these conditions? Because that's the one thing I like to showcase on this show is how everyone has taken their adversity that life has given them and turned it into something positive. So how do you intend to turn and utilize your conditions as a positive going forward? When I see other people, not just veterans, just children uh, who have been traumatized, who have PTSD, one of the things I, I explained to them is this is not a death sentence. This is a life sentence. And what that means is this is trauma that you can actually get rid of. You can expel it. It's just like it can be exercised. But you have to focus on getting rid of it a small bit at a time. And I, I, I put it like this to most people, adults especially. I said, when, you, when your credit goes bad, you didn't make your credit bad overnight. It, you got rid of, you, you fixed it a little bit at a time. And so when I work with clients, I would say, this is not that mad dash. We're not going to take the mad. We are going to jog. This may take us years. It may take us months, but I'm going to be here 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. When I marry couples, I tell them the same thing. If you get into a trench, do not sit in that trench. Like, it's going to be okay. It's not, because you need somewhere else to put this. Bring it to me, and we're going to work through the trench. And I've had several clients come back to me three and four years later after I've married them, and they go, we're there. Oh, 
okay, well, what do you want to do about the rear there? Where I hold them accountable to work through. If you're reaching your trigger and you can, this is what, these are the steps we need to take. For me, when I find myself being triggered, I just exit that situation if I can. If I can't, I have a mantra that I continue to stay in my head until I can. And I stay very, very calm. I stay very, very pleasant. And no one ever knows they've even triggered. Right. Knowing when it's safe to let it out, basically. Like, if I'm having a rough day, I'm just basically going to try to be as pleasant to people around me at first. And then I'm going to say, I'll be in my uh, lair slash bedroom for a minute. And it's like, okay, now we're in a safe place to kind of let go. Because eventually you can't let things bottle up. Otherwise, it's going to lead to an unhealthy situation. Correct. And so for some, uh, it's exercise for a lot. And I say, I would say 95%. I say journal it. Whatever you're thinking. However, don't say this to Bob. You know, don't yell and scream at Bob. Write it on paper. Right. Because here's the thing about putting something on paper. It now is real. You've already said it. Now you can let it go. And you don't have to hurt. You don't have to hurt Bob to let it go. Because the minute you let, I tell people, mm. words are like bullets being fired. And the more you say, the faster they are. But you mm. can't surgically remove them. So if I tell you, I hate your guts, you're going to always hear, I hate your guts. Even though we made up and everything. But it's mm-hmm. going to be at some point, it's here. You're gonna, And something's going to happen, and you're going to remember, oh, yeah, you did say you hated my guts. But if you write it on paper, dear Bob, and I was telling them to start like a letter, dear Bob, whoever it is, yesterday you did X, Y, Z that triggered me to do X, Y, Z, and this is how I feel about that situation. I never want that situation to happen again, and right. here are the resolutions I think that we can come to. So the next time you see Bob, you're pleasant. You've already talked to Bob. You've talked to Bob in your journal. And there are people I know, myself included, who have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of journals. And people who have upset me never knew. Right. Because once you write it down on paper and you see that it's real, you can approach it from a different angle. As opposed to, oh my God, these thoughts are building up inside my head. You can see, wait a minute. Okay, I got that out. And I can't say this to this person because this is how he's going to feel later on. Right. When you read what you write, you hear what you wrote. And you say, ooh, I would never want that said to me. Now, of course, you've given a lot of advice to others. But there's there's a time in everyone's life where they need to go to advice. Because after all, we're only human and we do not have all the answers. Who do you go to for advice? Well, I have several friends who they're literally therapists or they are intuitives or they are uh, empaths. And I talk to them. Um, an imp, when I talk to my empathic friends, they already, they can feel my energy. They already know how I'm feeling. So they're already going into more of a, okay, this is where we need to be. And this is where we are. Um, when I talk to my intuitive friends, they can kind of get inside the, the spirit of me and figure out, okay, so this is the way we need to go. And this is what we need to do. When I talk to my friends who are therapists, they do the rest of it. And so the combination of the three Groups of people surrounding me allows me to just go, good, okay, I'm done. 
Right. You have the group of people that you can trust to say, all right, it's safe to let my hair down, let me ask these people questions, or let me just vent. We all, I think we yeah. all need that. I have a, these people are my safe space, and that's what everyone needs to find. They need to find a group, two or three, you know, they can have five, but who have no judgment about anything. Right. Because they're your safe space. Mm -hmm. But you need to be able to reciprocate. Right. I try I try to be that same way for my mom because she's my ultimate safe space. But I think it's there's that motherly instinct where it's like, oh, my God, I have to be strong for my baby. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, you're a mother yourself. And most of your family has been in the military that you mentioned, at least on your son's wife. And uh, what I'm curious about is. Was the life coach and the mother inside your head going to war over your son joining in the military? Well, you know what? Um, both of my sons and both of their wives uh, served this country. Um, and my ex served this country. And my dad served this country. And my in-laws served this country. And so for me, it, it, it's just when they looked at me, I think one of the things that my oldest son said to me that I will never forget when he first joined the military, he goes, you're amazing. You just keep going and going and going and you don't stop. I said, at some point, I'll hit a roadblock, I'll hit the end of the road, or I'll hit a wall. And at that point, I'm going to call you. Well... Thus far, I haven't had to use that card. <laughs> I haven't had to use that card. But, you know, my sons, my daughter-in-laws, my daughter, even my grandkids call me for advice. And sometimes they just want me to listen, and I just sit there. Because sometimes that's all a person needs. Right. They just need you to hear them because nobody else does. Right. They need you to feel like there is someone out there to listen, regardless of how absurd their issues might seem. Well, it, it, it may have seemed absurd to somebody else, but it may not have seemed absurd to me. Well, that's what I'm saying. Because you got to remember, I'm 61 years old, and I've been through a lot. You right. know? And so for me, I have not just the formal education, but I have the practical life experience that I can go back in my grab bag and go, yeah, I can understand that. Right. Life experience. Something we all, something we will all earn over time. Yes, over time. Uh, some things you can't gain just because you're here. Some things you have to gain over a period of decades, mm -hmm. years, eons to be knowledgeable in that space. And I think that's where a lot of the disconnect is. When you see people who are older and you go, oh, they don't know. They may not know Google, <laughs> but they know something else. And I keep telling people, everything that we're doing now is not new. It's old. It was just done a different way. Right. You know, if you think about people doing cash registers, we've always had cash registers. But they used to be the kind where you hit your buttons and then the, little, the numbers pop up and you do the math yourself. Now everything does it for you. You know, and so it's, it's not a new thing. It's not a new thing to have a voicemail. Instead of being external, now it's internal to your phone. Right. So there, there's a lot of things that are going on that have always been the way they are. You right. Know, it's, it's not a new thing. When I hear people say, well, this is Reiki and it's new. No, it's not. Because here's the thing. 
when when God created the earth, when Jesus touched people, he healed them, right? But when they touched him, they were whole. And the difference between being healed and being whole is you're asking for one thing. So you ask Jesus, okay, make me walk. And Jesus is like, look, you can walk. But suppose you have an issue with your whole body. You have cancer. You go to Jesus and you go, hey, I need this, this, this. He's not going to just cure the cancer. Whatever else was wrong is probably going to get cured up too. That's still Reiki Mm. in a different version. Right. We all have to remember the human experience is the same for everybody. It's just just different versions of the same experience because the world changes. Every single century. Right. But the human experience is the one thing that never changes. Right. Right. Now, for someone who is entering into a new relationship or is deciding to go into the military, what advice would you give them? Well, first of all, um, do your research. Figure out which branch actually resonates with you. What is your personality? Because literally every version of the military has a different personality that fits really, really well or doesn't. And the same thing with new relationships. Don't just dive in headlong. Have your have questions. Have very specific questions to make sure that this energy is matching with your energy. I, the outside can be perfect, but is the inside healed or is it broken? Because what I find is hurt people generally hurt other people because they don't know any other way to be. That's the hard question. Don't ask just the media, well, what do you want to do with your life in five years? Don't ask them. Those questions are good. But here's the problem with that. They may not know. They may not own, they may only know what they want to do tomorrow. And you may know what right. you want to do for the next 20. And you may have an idea, an idea, that's the key, of how you want to get there. They may not know. So you won't know any of that unless you talk. Make communication top. God and communication should be top. If you believe in God, if you believe in Buddha, if you believe whatever you believe in, make sure that it all kind of runs together and it's very succinct. It's very synchronized because what you don't want is to get into a relationship with somebody who sent their representative. And I tell this to anybody. Sending a representative means when you first meet me for the first 90 days, I've got this perfect game face and everything is going well. What happens after month four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Are they the same person you met three months ago? Are they better? If they bring something to the relationship, what I mean is if they can bring something that's essential to your relationship, not money, but if they help bring the best out of you. And you help bring the best out of them. They find peace in you. You find peace in them. Right. Now you're going in the same direction. But if this person is constantly bringing you challenges, you might want to rethink your strategy. Right. And I can't think of a better way to finish off that podcast, this podcast than by, first of all, thanking you, Darlene. I really appreciate you coming on this week. I would love to have you on. We're going to wrap this up by asking you where people can find any of your businesses and anything that you're doing. If you are looking for me, just email me direct at um, superiorlove at gmail.com. 
Um, I am reworking my website. Uh, currently, I actually have my IT people working on it. Uh, but my website was superiorlove.com. And now it's being under construction. So anybody can call me at 301-267-4195. Or they can email me at superiorlove at gmail.com. And just shoot me a message. I am always available and I always respond. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us this week. From all of us here at the Sit Down Stand Out Show, it takes physical strength to stand up, but inner strength to stand out from the rest. I'm Ben and We'll see you next time.